the Joyful Noise Radio Hour. Welcome to the Joyful Noise Radio Hour. I am your host, Carl Hofstetter. Tonight we'll be talking with Cedric Noel, who is the most recent addition to the Joyful Noise roster. He and I have a really long, fascinating talk because he is a fascinating person. No one I've ever met has had this amount of life experience. The guy was born in Niger, immediately adopted by a multicultural family. And then he spent his upbringing in no less than nine countries in five continents. It's fucked up. Basically, he didn't live in Antarctica. Anyway, it was a great talk. I think you'll enjoy it. Stick around for that. So... The inadvertent but necessary theme of this episode is the fact that vinyl manufacturing has been significantly delayed worldwide. Most of our records are essentially just caught up in production right now, which is making things very frustrating for us and frustrating for fans. For anyone who doesn't know, there's an insane worldwide delay in vinyl manufacturing. Just a few months ago, it took about two months from the time that we submitted the audio and artwork to the manufacturer until the vinyl records actually arrived at our office. And virtually overnight, that timeline extended to between seven and nine months. Actually, some manufacturers are even going as long as 12 months right now. It takes less time to make a human being. So tonight, I'm going to let our manufacturer's order queue dictate what we play. I will literally be going down the line of each release caught in manufacturing delays. I'll play my favorite track from that release and tell you exactly how long it's being delayed. We can all commiserate together and enjoy the music at the same time. Our first artist in the delay queue is Deerhoof. So when we submitted this record for manufacturing, we actually didn't have an album title for this yet. And so the screen I'm looking at right now has the title Feelings Are Okay, which was the sort of placeholder title for the album that became Actually You Can. That's the real title. We submitted the test pressings back on April 15th. It is now August 17th. And the ship date that I'm looking at right now for the records is December 23rd. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, this is the first track on the record. It's probably my favorite song. It's called Be Unbridled, O Ye Gates of Hell. If we only have planted onions, how are these tomatoes all growing? This refrigerator is so well stocked.
that I'm looking at right now, which is dictating the curation of this radio episode. The artwork line still says awaiting customer approval. Um, They haven't sent us any proofs. So we have no fucking idea when this record's gonna show up. But here's one of my favorite tracks from the album. It's called Vapor. Thank you. 
next up, Helvetia, Essential Aliens. I can't fucking believe we haven't received this one yet. We approved these test pressings on March 8th of 2021. It's now August 17th. That's six and a half months. What I'm looking at right now is a manufacturing queue that still just says in production, but the ship date is blank. I don't know if that means that they've shipped it and neglected to send us the tracking, or if they just forgot about it, if they fucking burned the copies, I don't know. No fucking idea. But since this record's already been out digitally for so long, I would rather just play you one of Jason Albertini's new songs from his Sudden Hex project, which is coming out on our Gray Area cassette series soon. So check this one out. infuriating of the batch. Soon's The Witness. We submitted this record in November of 2020. That was an eternity ago. The band intentionally wanted to delay this record so that we could potentially get over some of the COVID bullshit and the release date would line up with our tour plans. So we thought, fuck yeah, we will have plenty of time for this one. Nope, 
the motherfucking cargo boat that the records were on when they were crossing the Atlantic to reach us caught fire. <laughs> the records were undamaged. However, apparently the government insurance red tape that has to be sorted through after a cargo boat fire, uh, it takes time apparently. That fire happened 60 days ago, and we still don't know when these records are gonna be here. Can't make this shit up. Anyway, here's my favorite track from that record. Recognize the 
walk this wire Cause you know what I mean When you're stuck between the moon and the morning light Yeah, you know what it's like Colliding on a sphere Bleed your heart till it's dry I'll give it one more Even though this is a tremendously frustrating time for us, as evidenced by my uh, less than subtle podcast this evening, I want to make clear that I don't blame our vinyl manufacturers or anyone else for the state of things. Our vinyl manufacturers do an incredible job and they are having their asses handed to them right now. And I think they're doing the best they can. It's just a frustrating situation, most likely due to all the albums that were delayed because of the coronavirus, plus all of the new COVID albums that were written during the lockdown, compounded with the fact that major labels have all of a sudden started realizing that there's money in vinyl, and so they're clogging everything up with the 25th reissue of Michael Jackson Thriller, or whatever. But at the end of the day, even though this is a tremendous annoyance for us, for you, and for our bands, We're trying to remind ourselves that the entire planet is recovering from a once in a generation pandemic. This is something we'll tell our grandkids about and maybe we need to just cut each other some slack. This vinyl bottleneck is actually a great indication that music is coming back in full force. To any of our fans out there, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being patient with us and continuing to pre-order records even though the timelines are so fucking insane because these pre-orders really are going to keep us going during this time period and i am eternally grateful for your enduring support so one last song before my conversation with cedric noel and this is a new band that i am reluctantly about to submit for vinyl manufacturing it's called springtime This new band features Gaz from Tropical Fuckstorm, Jim White from Dirty Three, and Chris Abrams from The Next. 
This album will be surprise announced pretty soon here, and it'll be released on October 1st. Why would a band called Springtime be released on October 1st? Because it is springtime in Australia. This album is super fucked up. I still don't even really know what to make of it yet. It sounds like Tropical Fuckstorm if they were a lounge band in some alien bar. And <laughs> the hook for this track includes the phrase stoned ape, stone tape, which is a stupid thing I blurted out to Gaz in a business meeting two months ago. I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but I was talking about the stoned ape theory that I said something about. Don't confuse that with the stone tape theory, which stoned ape theory is about how psychedelics might have played a role in our human evolution. Stone tape theory has nothing to do with that. It's about, uh, it's a theory about how maybe ghosts are just uh, sort of energy replays that happen based on the material that's around. Anyway, it was an off-the-cuff thing that I said to him, and I was shocked and delighted when he ripped me off for this song.
Thanks for jumping on, dude. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? All right. Sorry, am I really dark? Like on my screen here? You could turn up the light yeah. if it's there. Yeah, but this this is all just like my computer. Screen. Wait, it's yeah, funny. it's just my it's just my webcam not like deciding um, what it wants, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now I'm dark again, like at Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is what to this do, racist but, uh, technology? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it's... yeah. Oh no, it is for sure. Okay. I mean, cameras are made like most yeah. cameras are made for lighter skin. So yeah. maybe that's that that'll help probably. Sounds uh, like a little... I was groaning at the whole concept. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's that's a little better though. I feel like we need a full-on origin story, yeah. like a ridiculous degree, in your, because you have such a unique past. Yeah. And uh, you know you've lived in so many places. Yeah. Tell me about that. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I mean, I can give you like the spiel because I've said this a lot. So give me the long form if you want. Yeah, I'll, I can. I'll, I'll. I'll make. I can make it a bit longer for sure. I usually have it down to like a minute. So I'm just like, let's. You know, yeah. you're gonna. You're gonna be yeah, bored. Let's but dive in. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was born in Niger, in West Africa. For people who don't know, I was born in Yemen, the capital, and I was adopted. Uh, so my dad is Canadian from Ottawa, born and raised, pretty much. It was very simple, and then my mom. Um, it's a bit more complicated story. She's Indian of origin, but grew up in Mozambique, hmm. South uh, Eastern Africa. Wow. Do you I, know anything about your birth parents, really? No, nothing about my dad. My mom gave birth at a hospital and essentially like left me there for oh, a better man. life, I think. Like, you know, that's yeah. so, sort of the assumption. But yeah, so I still to this day cannot remember if my mom is born in Mozambique or like moved there when she was a kid. How and could you even know that? Like what document? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I mean like my, my adopted mom. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. Very interesting. My mom's just like a bit harder to follow because she's will like just mention things every once in a while. And you're like, what? <laughs> Whereas my dad, when you mention things, it's also kind of like what, but it's like, oh, I have a bit of more of a frame of reference because I know right. that he's camps. born and raised in Ottawa. Born and raised in yeah, in Ottawa. So yeah, there's like a lot for like historical context. There's a lot of a lot of Indians in Eastern Africa, especially oh, um, so oh. like Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, uh, Uganda. But the part of India where my mom is originally from is Goa, which was colonized by the Portuguese, and Mozambique was also colonized by the Portuguese. So that's kind of how she ended up there, and she was essentially like a freedom fighter against the Portuguese government when. Wow in the 70s and when she left she had to flee essentially mozambique as so the story goes and when she left mozambique was still a colony wow <laughs> it's kind of wild to think about because it wasn't that long ago right yeah anyway so she fled to europe and that's where like it gets hazy i don't really understand what i don't know i don't really know what happened in portugal for her to have to flee she's never told her no, she'll like make references to things and she went, she, they lived there for a while when I was already here and she just like made references to like, oh, like this is where this happened or and, hmm. oh my gosh, like, you know, we'll get into the details. But, she doesn't want to talk about it, huh? Uh, I think she does. I just think it's like, where do you start with a story hmm. like that? Like, you know, right. you, can't, it, you kind of have to like sit down and do an interview. You can't just have like a conversation. Yeah. 
We should uh, uh, have you interview, interview. her <laughs> on this on the podcast. Yeah, if she's into it, we'll see. We speak to each other in French, though, so it would oh, be, really? yeah, yeah. Um, you have to translate. Yeah, I have to translate. Yeah, so anyway, she ended up at some point in Europe in her late teens, early 20s. She went to university in Belgium and married a Belgian guy that I know, and so she became Belgian. <laughs> Anyways, she met my dad in, in Guinea-Bissau, which is in Western Africa, like right on the tip. They, they were both doing sort of development work. My mom's background, I think, is more law, and then my dad is more economics and agriculture. But they were both doing that, and they met, and they got married, and then they wanted to have kids. But my mom couldn't have kids, so they were looking at adoption, and somehow they knew this guy in Niger. His name was Idrisa, and that's my middle name. He was like, we have some kids here at this orphanage in Yemen, Niger, that are, you know, looking to be adopted. And I was still, you know, a baby. I was like three months old or something like that. So, yeah, and they chose me. Luckily, there are like four kids. There's like a photo that we saw oh, somewhere of like four kids. And uh, that's really bizarre. But then we lived in Guinea-Bissau after that when I was a baby. And we lived in Senegal. And then we moved to Vietnam. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in 93, I think. And my sister is adopted from there. So she's very she good. So how old were you then in Vietnam? And do you speak Vietnamese? I did, apparently, as a baby. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of maybe one of the reasons the language. I like I'm able to pronounce a lot of things in different languages or names a little bit easier than most people. And I learned Chinese for a year at one point when I was in middle school and that oh, was wow. a bit easier like just like doing the mouth sounds and having like a good ear for intonation anyways yeah we lived in vietnam my sister's from there and then i'll just go through the countries quickly and it's like we yeah. lived in zimbabwe for a couple of years and then back to senegal and then to the philippines so this is the 99 wow so it's already the span of like only five years and then we lived there for four years and we moved to holland and we lived in The Hague, we lived there for three years, moved to Kenya, lived there for two years. And what work were your parents doing at this point? Still like, de- still development work, like they worked for Oxfam and CARE and human. yeah, mostly humanitarian development. Mm-hmm. And so the, cool. just have, you know, a two, three year contracts somewhere and then you go and then yeah. you either get another contract and stay or you look for another job. And, so you're in Holland? Holland, then we moved to Kenya. 2006 or seven, lived there for two years. And then my last year of high school, we lived in Brazil in Recife, which is like right on the outer tip of, you know, how Brazil kind of like sticks out. Yeah. Into the Atlantic. Atlantic. Yeah. That's where Recife is. It's a small town by Brazil standards or smaller city by Brazil standards, but it's four and a half million people. (laughs) So much crazy life experience Um, just in, just before you even graduated high school, man. It felt really normal for us, (laughs) obviously. Like I was like aware that it wasn't like the norm. And then I moved to Fredericton, New Brunswick in Canada, which is probably the most random place out of all of them. Yeah. Um, Why uh, was that? Well, so I'm Belgian by nationality. When I was adopted. My sister was adopted. The Canadian government wouldn't recognize us as children to my dad because we were adopted. The the law has changed since then. But basically, like, if you're, you know, I'm sure it's the same thing in the States. Like, if you're American and your child is born outside of the States, they are automatically American by virtue of their parents being. 
American. And so that was the case for Canadians, but they did not do that for adopted children, mm. which was like very much against like the Geneva Convention for Children's Rights or basically like we weren't accepted as Canadians, but my mom was Belgian through marriage and then divorced, but still kept her nationality. The Belgians accepted us like no questions asked. Huh. <laughs> it's kind of wild. And so we were Belgian our whole lives. And then when we were in Brazil, right before I was going, applying to universities and stuff, the law had changed in Canada. And so we were like doing the paperwork for us to become Canadian and it made sense for us to go to Canadian universities. I speak a few different languages, but English, English and French are my main languages, but English is stronger, like in my opinion, or like I, I like I've used it more in scholastic environments. Mm -hmm. And so I'd wanted to go to school in English. And so Canada just made sense. Um, I wanted to go to Australia, but that was not accepted. So I went to Fredericton, New Brunswick. What did you, you study there? Journalism oh. and communications. But yeah, like played basketball and soccer. <laughs> it feels like a different life. And then I started playing music there. So you started playing music in college. You didn't yeah. pick up an instrument before that? I had, like, I, I wasn't a very confident kid, but I was confident that I was a, a, a good athlete and I was mm -hmm. confident that I was, for some reason, I think more confident that I was a good singer, hmm. <laughs> uh, even though I never sang in front of anybody. Uh, I was like, no, no, I can sing, like, <laughs> but I don't know why I had that unencumbered confidence. <laughs> and now I think about it, but I took piano lessons a bit and then stopped. My sister was much better than me. And the way that music is taught at like, you know, when you're 10 years old or whatever, isn't very stimulating for somebody who wants to be creative rather than wants to like have structure. Yeah. Yeah. Like if somebody had been like, oh, if you learn these skills, you can write your own song, it would have probably like yeah. more into it. But, and, but, and I sang in a choir. Was there a, um, a first band or a first album that really connected with you and just made you fall in love with music? I think there are like a few stages. I think there's like the stage of like you listening to your parents' music. So well, what music was your parents? What do we have? We had Tracy Chapman, which now I'm realizing is like kind of huge for me now. It was Tracy Chapman, The Beatles, and then uh, Eagle Eye Cherry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I still like. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's such a 90s moment. Yeah, uh, uh, Sting, Sting, not the police, but Sting. Sting. Yeah, Sting yeah. solo. If Sting. I ever lose my faith in you. That's yes, funny. exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that to me after I said Sting. <laughs> uh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that from my childhood. Seeing that shit on VH1. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I have no context for that music other than in the car or you know. Um, Yusundur, which is like um, Yusundur and Salif Keita, uh, one is Senegalese, one is Malian. We're listening to them a lot. And then like Joe Cocker. Hmm. Like, it was like really like that's a, no, that's no, rhyme or, stuff. Yeah. no rhyme or reason of yeah, yeah. a weird arrangement of things, which I think now, like if I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, that, I understand like my head. A bit <laughs> but yeah, there was. That's, an, how, that's how I got all those diverse sounds. Yeah. Like naturally feeding into my creative stream. Yeah. And like, cool then what's like, the second stage when you like adolescence or something? Yeah. Like discovering or, or learning about stuff that maybe your parents aren't listening to. Mm -hmm. um, in Holland, I'd go to the library with my dad and 
I would just take CDs and then copy them onto tapes on the same stereo that I still have now, actually. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was for sure like Blink-182, I remember listening to that for the first time <laughs> and being like, that's, oh, what? Like, you can sing like this? Wow. That's, <laughs> how old are you? 20 or 20. I mean, <laughs> I'm 29 and 30. I have... <laughs> I have two birthdays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! How do you? What's the story of your two birthdays? Uh, it's very simple. Like when I was adopted, they made a mistake in my papers, and they wrote the twenty first of July instead of the twenty first of August. Mm. So right now I'm in between those two dates. And so, gotcha. so, so one month every year. Yeah, you have to explain that when when someone. Yeah, asks yeah. Or if it's somebody that I'm like you know, no, if it's just like somebody I'm meeting once and, you know, I'll tell them yeah. I'm from Ottawa and that I'm that's funny. So I've got a, a funny theory about Blink-182 where it's like, it feels sure. like it's a generational thing that was like just below, like the generation of kids, the grade below me. Like really got into that band, and I was on the other side of it, where I old, was like, I was like, old, fuck that. Older you? I'm 37. Oh, okay, yeah, that would make sense. Um, right on the cusp. Yeah. yeah, it like for me, like they were. I never got into it. I they seemed just jokey and dumb to me, like the band Lit or something, you know. But um, I don't know that band, but. <laughs> don't, don't look them up. They're <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. But I'm not trying to disparage. Uh, no, you can or I, anyone I else care, yeah. that, that likes them because there are a lot of people that I've I've discovered that are like just slightly younger than me. You know, five years younger or something. Who Blink One Eighty Two is like formative for them, and they're amazing musicians. You know, and they've got great taste. So clearly, it's like. It's like this weird generational line that was like drawn yeah. in the sand. And now, now I'm just the old man yelling at the cloud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're a good starter pack for somebody who's in their early teens, you know? Yeah. You know, like yeah, it's yeah, a good, probably. I think they're like a good stepping stone to. For me, that was probably like the offspring or yeah. Green Day, you know, yeah. both those bands dookie from green day and and uh offspring smash like mm -hmm. offspring was my first show ever oh whoa it was the smash tour and it was the last day of school in mm -hmm. fourth grade <laughs> but but like yeah i think it's weird because like now that i have the ability to look back and understand the cultural context of all these bands i wonder if i would have liked them if i knew what they looked like and did oh. like because I had no idea. You were what. just getting the CDs from the library and like and dubbing them onto tape and like I was listening no to them on like, like or nothing. Walkman and you know, I remember like the only album I knew of them for probably until I was in university, the self-titled. So like that was it. And I was like, oh, this is very different. But that's all I knew. I didn't I think I started to understand maybe what they looked like when I saw like the all all the small things video, but I still mm -hmm. didn't even understand the joke of that video because I didn't totally understand the cultural yeah. significance. But like I knew who like 98 Degrees was and like the Backstreet Boys. Like 
I don't know. It was like that was the easier cultural thing to grasp onto, I imagine. It's got to be weird to be in that situation as a kid, hopping around to all these different countries, seeing all these different cultures, and then experiencing something (laughs) like like American (laughs) pop music. It's got to be insane to like contextualize it. I guess. I mean, I never, and I probably still don't to a certain extent, I don't differentiate music by country at all. I think um, that's amazing. It shouldn't but, be. Yeah, you shouldn't have to. But I mean, there is like a reason to do it maybe contextually. But yeah, I never did. So I don't know. I just listened to it as I would any other yeah. record that my parents would give me or something. That's but awesome. My high school basketball coach and, and my economics teacher, the same person, Mr. Curry, he introduced me to everything from like the distillers, to bad brains, and Hell yeah. uh, but then also like Incubus. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that and, one hasn't uh, aged so well. But. No, no, it has not. <laughs> um, we'll move on swiftly, I guess, for now. Uh, what else was there? Like, there was just Bad so Brains much. is a great one, though, man. I mean, I didn't know until a long time after that they were like some of the members were black or all of them are black. I can't remember. I think like, they're all black. They're, they're all yeah. Jamaican, I think, or, or Jamaican like, heritage. Yeah, there was just, I can't remember all the bands that, you know, were from that time, but like the distillers, I like grabbed onto for a long time. I was like, this is, this distillers are my favorite band, which again, makes That's cool. I, it's cool. I, that makes no sense. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I kind of know a bit about you. I think a while, even before we even started talking, I um, listened to a few interviews with you and stuff. Cause I just like, I was like on a big label research vendor for like a year. That's like what kept <laughs> me going when I was at work and just listening, listening to label interviews. But hmm. yeah, I don't, That's uh, most, most artists don't do that, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that totally suits you. You're, you're so purposeful in everything you do. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I mean, I just, I'm big into just researching, but I also just genuinely love it. And yeah. So, I mean, I know you are a drummer or are a drummer. I don't, I don't know where ours what the right yeah it's it's in between there yeah i don't know i got i'm looking at a drum drum set i have right here in my yeah. office Are, is this oh yeah i want to know is this your off like is this at the office or is this yeah. at your home this is my office okay i've got this little like 10 by 10 safe space here <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then out out there you know it's the warehouse and okay gotcha but yeah that's how i started in music was playing mm-hmm. drums yeah. and uh i still find it like sort of therapeutic i mean i have a bit of a theory because i i've been teaching myself drums for the past year but i wonder if drums are uh, either good or people who have like a tendency to be like heavy thinkers you strike me as somebody who's thinking a lot all the time and i wonder if that's like if there's a connection because yeah i, think I am is. too and I, yeah. I am too and like I feel like having to use all my four limbs, like there's something about that that I find very pleasing. Like I'm not somebody who's like into like playing loud or anything. And I think there's also that, but there's something about having to focus on so many different things at the same time that it's like very calming or settling. Yeah. I think uh, maybe what it does is gets you into a more meditative state where Mm. it's like, uh, it's like you're, you're, alpha brain waves <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> or whatever which which uh i don't know if you've ever like researched how your brain waves change when it's 
when you're in these sort of different states of consciousness. But when you're in like normal, like us now, it's beta, I think. I don't know. Okay. I, don't, I don't know that much about this shit. But, th but when you are like creating something, you're like painting or like you're in the zone, you know, then that's beta. And then you can get like deeper until you're basically like tripping on DMT, you know, <laughs> without DMT, but still like that's what happens when your brain gets to <laughs> that point. But yeah, I, I, that's definitely how it feels to me. Drums are absolutely like this meditative exercise and sort of energy expression. It sort of clears your head. It's almost like I remember um, I used to work as a dishwasher at a restaurant and I really liked it. And they kept wanting me to be a busboy. Mm, and uh, different vibe. Yeah, and I was like, kind of like, kind of like the dish tank back here, you know? Because yeah. there was something about the just constant motion and just being in your own head and just being able to like go crazy with your own thoughts. And I think, yeah, there's something similar with drums for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I was like trying to find some of the bands that you you played in, but I don't know if I was <laughs> successful. Uh, okay, so 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 the very first Joyful Noise release was my noise rock band, uh, right. bass and drum duo called Milk the G Six Forty Nine, which is the most ridiculous, stupid band name ever. But that's how we wondered it at the time. Yeah, I know, I get. It. And uh, I was nineteen when we recorded that record. That uh, on the back of that cd i i made up a fake label name called joyful noise you know just to lend a sense of legitimacy to that particular record and it's really weird that that is the thing that you know became my uh lifelong art project and career but that record i just realized came out 19 years ago and i was 19 when i recorded it so I'm at this weird nexus of like, yeah. I've been doing the label now as long as I you were alive when you were was alive when I recorded the first thing. Yeah. And I was thinking about, it's never been on vinyl. And I was thinking about pressing like a like hundred copies just for posterity. I don't know. Why not? Well, because it's... I'm sure like... It's I'm a sure, little egocentric. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like because you're the one, because it's your band. But even to me, like somebody who doesn't know the band, like as a fan of the label and who doesn't even own vinyl i would think that would be cool to own you know just as like, yeah you we know. might do it I, I don't know it's it hasn't been a high priority for me but i did listen to it again after like a decade yeah and uh and i was really surprised it felt like we didn't we didn't know what the fuck we were doing and it somehow was coming through us you know, especially that first record, because it was all recorded live to tape and it was all first takes and there was no overdubbing and it was just like stream of consciousness shit. Yeah, we didn't really understand the context of what we were doing. We knew we loved, you know, the Melvins and Ornette Coleman. That's about as far as we took it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then something else weird that like drew me back to that band was the other day I was driving and i saw some a fucking minivan oh yeah and it's even weirder because i was in my old neighborhood where i lived when i was a kid which i never would go through there but i was somehow driving through this neighborhood where it was like basically a block away from my house 
and I, the fucking minivan in front of me has a milk the G649 sticker on it. That's... And I was like, like it, it didn't even register. Like I couldn't figure it out for a minute because I, like we only made a hundred of those, I think. Oh, and then it's like, and it's been night, whatever. Yeah, it's been 19 years. We made 100 of these things. Someone has it still on a car and I somehow end up behind it. It's ri- like the odds of that seem astronomical. You didn't stop them? <laughs> no. I would have stopped what them. What would I do? Like, it's, I'd be like, ah, I'm in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it's just, but it got me thinking. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, fuck, that's crazy, that band. And I listened to it again, and I was like, oh, shit, that's actually, I'm not embarrassed of this. Maybe oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. That's because, <laughs> I mean, I've, I don't know about how, how people would feel about, you know, a lot of people would feel about stuff they made when they were 19. Be like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't think it's great or anything, but I'm not embarrassed. Yeah, that's, yeah. It was pretty good for 19-year-olds. I'll yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the band that I was in that was actually like the best band that I was in is Abner Trio. That band is right. actually really good because it had two amazing songwriters. And I was just backing them up. <laughs> What's one of the artists that you like the biggest artists that you discovered before they were big? Ooh. Like the only one that comes to mind that's like really big or like big to my standards anyways is Andy Schaff. Yeah. Like I rem- I love like, Andy Schaff, dude. Okay, yeah. He's... Can I tell you a story about Andy Schaff? For sure, yeah. So, like a couple of years ago, I I don't know how I stumbled across the Andy Schaff record, and I was just really taken by it, and and got kind of obsessed with this album, and maybe like one or two albums per year really connect with me. Yeah. Aside from the Joyful Noise releases, which all must connect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm saying one or two albums per year that we don't have any Affiliation. You know, any ties to. And his was one of them. And, and I was just, I was really, really into it. And Is this the, the party? Uh, yes, the party. Okay. I was so into it that I think I was going to try to email him to see if he wanted to do an almost live or something like that. Right. Yeah. And in doing that, in searching my inbox, I realized that I had rejected his demo like two years ago. <laughs> there you go. And I saw this horrible email thread where I mean it wasn't rejecting it based on any based on even listening to it. I was yeah. just I was just like, I'm sorry, we're too fucking busy. Like, well you wrote you wrote back to him, which is kind oh, of yeah. I remember it, it wasn't him, it was his manager. But, okay. Um, was it was it John? No, uh, I think it. It was before. It was. It was before the party. It was it, like he okay. didn't send us the party. Oh yeah, but he it sent was, like demos to it, like a couple of years before that. Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. And I, and I kind of, I was just too frantically busy to, to be able to realize how good it was. Maybe, but maybe if you had signed him, maybe he doesn't make the party. Maybe he makes a different record that you maybe love as much, but it's not the party. That's true. You know, or maybe he makes an even better record. I don't know. I, I would like to think he would make an even better, even record. better record. But yeah, yeah he he missed he missed out. <laughs> but I I must say that like having new records that I love that really connect with me that aren't 
on the label is a joy in a way that I like never realized that I needed. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know what I mean? I like bet. like stuff that I can listen to that I don't have any affiliation with. It, because it's it's tough to like divorce your mind from work mode or whatever. No, for sure. So yeah, I don't know. I when I saw that email thread and I realized that I had projected the demo of one of my favorite artists <laughs> like two years prior, it was pretty crushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes to show, I mean, being an artist on the other side of that, it's both encouraging and discouraging, you know, to hear. It's like, oh, well, like, you know, obviously everybody gets rejected and stuff yeah i mean and that's kind of why i got big into like researching labels and stuff because i was like man what makes these people tick like what the hell is going on with these people where like (laughs) why would you choose this yeah no but like i don't want to be like mean but (laughs) i'm just kind of like you really like you decided to put this out like freely i would love to know if you if you see any horrible mistakes in our like uh release well I, I don't know if I have that much. I don't think I have a lot of beef with the Joyful Noise catalog because A, it's a lot of stuff that I don't know, which to me is kind of cool. And most of the stuff that I've listened to on the catalog so far, I've really liked. I feel like there's like three categories maybe for me listening wise or four. I didn't like it and I thought that it was bad because it just didn't feel honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it because I just didn't connect with it. I didn't like it, but I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like I connected with it and I loved it. So hopefully, at least everything that we release can, can <laughs> reside in the the upper three categories. No, for but no, because the the not artistically honest thing, like that's my no, primary yeah. focus as a curator is like, and I do not want to fuck around with stuff that isn't yeah. honest, you know. And that's I mean and that's what I like about Joyful Noise, right? Um, and, and no one has to love every fucking release. No, you know? yeah, no. Like I think not, I, I'm the only one that has to love everyone. <laughs> but yeah. everything that I've listened to, I've been like, oh, like you know, all the stuff. Because there's bands always on the label that I know and 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 really like. But then there are bands that I'd never heard of. Like I'd never heard of um, L1011. Yeah. Before, and I was like, yeah. oh. But then I was just like, how have I not listened to this before? I know, right? Like I didn't know Kishibashi. Mm which is wild to me. And you know, like, I, I don't want to like, uh, diss like every person in the music industry or at a label. Cause you know, like people are busy and you can only sign so many people. But I just find that like, there are a lot of artists that not just me think are amazing, but a lot of people just think are amazing. And even people at labels think are amazing. And I'm just like, well, if you think that person's really great and you're not able to put them out, is it too much for you to be like, Hey, other person at this other label or like help this person out i'm just so hell-bent on getting people heard and Mm -hmm. i just often find seeing all these great artists get rejected but then not getting any any help when it just takes somebody to just send send somebody its email address be like i think this person might be yeah but at the same time like but but there is tons of music out there and it's hard sometimes but it's it's hard to to sift through yeah, uh, honestly, and it sucks. It's the worst part of my job is listening to amazing demos that I have yeah. to reject, you know? Yeah. And um, but 
uh, it's part of the reason we started the Church of Noise is so that yeah. we, we could help support some of that stuff that we can't release. Like at yeah. least I can submit them for a grant, you know? No, it, it, yeah, um, exactly. I know it probably sounds very elitist for me to play the victim here, but like it takes a fucking psychological toll, honestly, on me. Like, to, I'm to sure have to like sit there and just like crush people's dreams. You know what I mean? And it's not like I am actually crushing their dreams, but that's how they perceive. That's how you're feeling. Yeah, like I, I feel like they're looking to us for like this path forward, and I'm saying sorry, can't yeah. do it. You know, even though it's really good. Yeah, I can definitely empathize with that and uh, or sympathize with that, I should say. But you know, it's cool to hear it from the other end too. Well, let's like, play a song, man. Yeah, let's um, play a song. What, uh, uh, which song do you want to play first? Let's play Come You. First track from the record. What do you have to say about this song? Is there any, uh, I don't know, is there any special story behind this? Um, it's probably one of the first songs I wrote for the record, I would say. It's the first song on the album. I mean, I wrote it on a keyboard, just like with a progressing uh, chord, starting off with the first note in the triad and then adding the third and the fifth. Yeah, I just really wanted a song with at least two drum parts on it. And I think there are five percussion parts on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I wrote them and then Liam, who uh, played on the record. Uh, yeah, Liam from Soon. Soon's like, just like, went for it. And I remember at one point I was in the room with him and he was just like, I was just like cheering him on. And then I think he's just like, I need you to leave i'm gonna leave you to me it seems like a very natural drum part but i'm you know for people who aren't in my head like definitely it's weird but that's cool all right well let's listen to it here it is come you
this record is um it's a slow burn yeah at least it was for me when i first heard it i didn't quite know what to make of it at first it i don't know i, I still can't really pinpoint what it was that was kind of perplexing to me about it right. but i think at first listen it feels like there's a lot of different sort of genres happening for lack of a better word yeah and it's hard to see how they're connected until you're you get like maybe three listens in you know mm. and, and at least for me like when i heard it maybe the third or fourth time i was like like this is all really purposeful and intentional and it makes total sense and it's really amazing <laughs> well thanks <laughs> That's really interesting to hear. I've not, no one said that to me before, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Like that song that we just heard is, it, yeah. you know, it, one of the more, um, I don't know, upbeat tracks yeah. on the record. <laughs> and, uh, like that could even, some people might describe that as like power pop or something, you know? Oh. Which is so different. Or, or at least some of the tracks on the record, I yeah. think, could reasonably just be described as power pop and that's so different than like, than tracks like allies or yeah. dove yeah that's you know, man like oh. peaks and valleys you know yeah dream peaks and valleys another thing that you do that i find really interesting is that like and i and i'm curious um what your sort of method is here but a lot of the tracks on the record you you basically seem to like hone in on like one theme that you sort of like build build on and you avoid this like verse chorus verse structure which i think is interesting and it's not something that i even immediately sort of realized i, I guess i'm curious if that was an intentional decision on your part to avoid that that sort of traditional structure or is was that just how the music came out I think they're like some songs definitely have choruses on the on them. Uh, sure, but some songs are like but, but some but sometimes is the chorus. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just, just for the people, so they don't they aren't misled. They're like tons of choruses <laughs> on this thing. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> no, it's a catchy ass record. It's probably yeah. one of the most like uh, I don't know user friendly albums we've <laughs> in a long time. Yeah, buy so, uh, it. I think I generally just sit down and play something and that's the song. Um, like words and all of, a lot of the time. Really? Uh, yeah. Like, like think, you sit down with a guitar, with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And the words and the notes come out of you at the same time. Yeah. There's like... That's fucked up, man. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't always <laughs> uh, have cool results um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, or good results but my friend James who's a musician and, and also organizes a festival here in Montreal we met years ago and he said to me recently he's like you know Cedric like when I met you you like an improviser and like an experimental artist and I still am that but I guess the material that people are more familiar with is like more of the singer songwriter variety but i always forget that the roots of my fascination with music are from an improvisatory standpoint mm -hmm. and so i've just kind of 
always improvised. And so to me, songwriting kind of has always been like that. And hmm. All the songs start off as improvisations. Well, they are, all the songs are just an improvisation, really. There are some songs, like I think I remember Headspace and Nighttime. I wrote those with the purpose of writing a song. At that point, I had whatever, probably 20 songs. I was like, oh, I need like a rock song here and a rock song there. And like those, I went in and was like, these need to have like a verse chorus kind of feel. But most of the songs are just like, I'll just sit down and I'll often feel just like a welling up of something and wow. be like, okay, like it's time to write. Yeah. And it's always when I'm the most stressed out of my mind. Really? Like, it's always like work is crazy. Like, I have to like record huh. a bunch of things for people. It's always like the most inconvenient time. That's when, like, wow. And yeah. sometimes it's when the, the spirit's inspiration comes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you want to, you know, touch this subject and we don't have to if you don't want. I'm just curious if you've experienced any overt racism in the music industry. Yeah. For sure. I mean, yes. <laughs> it's like not even close. And there's, because, yeah, there is a difference also between overt and, like, sort of, like, what you can presume is. Yeah, like, right, like unconscious racism is a different thing. Not, or, to say, or, not to say it's excusable, but it's... or But not even, like, unconscious, but just, like, you, you're not sure why somebody made a decision, even though they, mm. might, you know. Um, luckily for me in the music stuff, I don't think there's really been any, like, violent stuff or anything like mm-hmm. maybe like at the shows like somebody's been weird or something but uh i remember <laughs> we we're at a show on prince edward island i was in a band called redwood fields just like, like 2012 or something and we just played a show at one of the venues in charlottetown at the capitol and <laughs> this guy was talking to i think it was either to my bandmate or we were like with an earshot, but he was like, and like, to me, it's like, I don't know, because I imagine my bandmate saying this to me, it's just like more funny than it is serious, but it is very serious. But he was basically like, I see this like black guy trying to indie it up, you know, and I don't like it, you know? Um, and I was just like, but it took me forever to even like understand the severity of a comment like that, you know? But it was just, uh, but at the time it was just more like, I think I just like brushed it off. Cause I was just right. like, I was just like, what is he Probably talking like? had to, oh, I mean, well, I, I think imagine that one has to a lot. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to brush it off a lot to, in order to just fucking exist. Right. Yeah. But I think I was lucky that I was like confident in that. What I, I thought that what I was doing was good. Uh, so mm-hmm. I didn't need that validation. That's yeah. I think that's why I feel lucky that I was able to find music at the time that I did because I really don't feel like I need an external validation of any kind. I'm just like I make music so I can listen to it. Like I yeah. listen to my music, yeah. and and I'm like try production things because I want to hear this or I want to hear that or whatever. So um, I was just kind of like okay, like. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I'm never gonna see you again. Like yeah. I don't know who you are. You're, but you're I think equated ideas yeah. about what indie rock is. Yeah. But I, I think like the more like the stuff that just like is uh that you like that stuff I don't like carry with me other than it's like a ridiculous story. Mm-hmm. Um the stuff that like feels harsh 
that I've talked to other folks about is just like how hard it is to be whatever marginalized group you you identify with or groups that you identify with how hard it is to just be like taken seriously mm-hmm. or just to be accepted like that that like yeah. feels like it's just like to not be like, like just pigeonholed not even like pigeonholed but just like even like somebody opening the door like the door being open for you you know and i think it was like i'm glad that i came to montreal and was able to find the scene of people that i did here and like actually when i met jess from drove noise like we were at like a at this like label session or whatever um online and there was a guy from manitoba a black guy from manitoba talking about what you know like how do how does like a i'm in manitoba and b i'm black like how the hell am i gonna get heard by like you know whatever label or whatever booker or whatever and i think that's like the big frustration just like take this person just take this person seriously because independent of who they are because right. the stuff they're making is really good you know do you think it's just like unfamiliarity with people in this mm-hmm. you know indie rock world or whatever mostly dealing with white people mm-hmm. do you think they're just like a little scared to to deal with or not scared but like do you think yeah. they're just like unfamiliar with it is it like innocent unfamiliarity or is it like blatant sort of boxing out i think I think it's both, you know, we're talking about like lack of maybe exploration with Mm. the music industry. And I think it's a lot of that. Mm. It's just a lot of like not being able to understand some, some, a lot of. And not being willing to try. Yeah. One of my favorite records of this year is a record by Lorraine, I think is how you pronounce it. It's L apostrophe R A I N. And her record is really cool, but it's just jazz and indie and like, it's just everything ambient. in one record and it's amazing and i think it was with her that i like i found maybe an article about or i think she wrote about how in this case black music isn't understood as experimental music and mm. there's just like that gap of first there's like a gap of knowledge of like history you know of just right like what is because we like all understand is, is the most yeah <laughs> in many ways so we have a way to contextualize like you know, maybe a white ambient experimental artist because we know the history, we know the lineage, but we don't necessarily know the lineage of somebody, you know, of a different race or different culture Mm -hmm. and like where that, what, like what brought them to there, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's just like when you listen to something, you have no context for you're like, whoa, okay. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where is it coming from? So there's part of our job, I think as a label is to contextualize things. Yeah. You know, and I get that it's, maybe more challenging to contextualize you know a a black experimental artist but it's also more important (laughs) to do that yeah or yeah and labels have different modes of operating and and venues have different modes of operating like some people are are just supremely focused on finding art and 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 art that they like and art they connect with or art that they want to promote too Mm -hmm. that they may, may not fully understand and th- that's kind of where I gravitate towards. Yeah, for sure. A lot of the time. But a lot of people, are, that's not their goal in the music industry. That's like, you know, yeah, they're just, just trying to either make money for profit or just make money to survive. Yeah. Or, and then the third maybe is like, they are like, they like the music they like. And 
like that's where they sound and that's the music that yeah out. you feel like it's gotten better since you know black lives matter became yeah. you know uh forefront and everything i don't know if bad it's improved yeah i don't know about using better as or but like things uh, are definitely like it's at uh, least in the discourse yes um i'm just like I, i'm just w- uh, a bit afraid maybe if it that it just has its moment and then it goes back to normal but mm-hmm. it felt like maybe a big of a shock in the system i mean i'll say this like whenever Bandcamp day was in june so whatever that week was mm-hmm. that day i ended up making more sales on Bandcamp in one day than i had in 10 years fuck that's amazing in 10 years it's amazing but it also made me really sad yeah because like it took this to yeah and this year i've had the most like whatever i don't want to say like successful because i don't know what that means but like the most people have li- heard my music this year than any other year and i, I didn't play yeah. a single show right um it's awesome i which mean is awesome but it felt really heavy because i was just like wow it, it took this to like yeah get people to care about just like this art like yeah. And and I, and that was a similar, you know, I've talked with a lot of other black musicians and I'm sure it's, it's the case has been with like other practices too, our practices, but like it's been the case for everybody and it's great to see, but it's also just like, whoa, like that's what it took. It's like really crazy. And so I think it just takes a second or probably going to take a couple of years for me to like recalibrate a little bit mm-hmm. and be like, oh, okay, this is a good thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it is. It's sad that that's what it took yeah but um, but it seems like a move forward it has been a huge step forward hopefully more like black and and poc like or by poc experimental ambient artists and stuff like that that's like yeah i want to see more of that there are a lot already but i don't know that's my favorite world of music is experimental music i think it's the one with the most like humility nobody comes to the shows <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it I've, yeah. I've been to and played a bunch of them <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> um, hey let's listen to this other song we're going to play Dove now yes okay sure. so yeah, yeah. this is a leak <laughs> so when this episode comes out Come You probably would have been released but this one will not this is one of my favorite tracks on the record it's super simple and i don't know man there's something about it that it's almost like a children's song yeah you know probably yeah i mean the the melody is very much like a nursery rhyme yeah and i don't know man it it really connected with me i hope not only because i have a two-year-old daughter and i'm listening to children's music all the time oh maybe i mean (laughs) i'll take that the fact that anybody likes that song is cool i mean that song is from 2012 or 11. it had a very 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 bad chorus attached to it (laughs) like a very very bad chorus oh yeah and I don't know what made me take another. I would always listen to it every once in a while because I liked the melody, but it was a rock song. And then I just played it on my sister's uh, like tiny acoustic classical one day. And I was like, oh, this kind of sounds cool. And then I just thought that that part would be enough. Yeah. But it's still funny to me. To me, it's like kind of a throwaway song. Like it's just a song that like needed to Uh go somewhere and it just ended up here. (laughs) (laughs) I can see how you'd say that, but I, I also think you sort of struck gold with it. Oh, great. 
right, I'll take that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> listen to his stuff. song that's like in a fucking apple commercial dude <laughs> <laughs> i mean or, or like a wes anderson film i'll take I mean, maybe i'll take that over <laughs> <laughs> um so good yeah i mean now i can only hear the nursery which is even better now um, yeah the bands that i consider my biggest inspirations most times people do not hear what are those bands i mean the big band that like <laughs> i've kept it quiet because like i feel like people really don't like this band but i think they're kind of misunderstood in yeah, a way nice. but nobody needs to feel sorry for them at the same time is fleet foxes um, really yeah and i actually had a conversation with somebody uh a while ago and i convinced them to re-listen to a record and they love it not just love it like it's nostalgic no like mm. i love it the third record that they made i think got got a ton of press but like didn't i think reach the ears of the people who actually maybe would like it for what it is because mm. they took a bunch of years off and then they put out a record 2017 i think called crack up you know it's like very heady very complex very the new record that they put out last year is great too but this one for me it's just like a benchmark of something to achieve oh so their like return album was the one that you really 
love. Yeah, and it's the okay. one that I think is the least liked among. Gotcha. Because it's just kind yeah. of obviously jazz inspired, but like lyrically, it's pretty pretty right interesting. On. And I've you, never given that band a chance to be. Oh, honest. that's 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 perfect. Then right. you're like you're fresh meat for them. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is like Blood Orange, which I've never think... heard Blood Orange. What? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know why I should say that, but like, no, I mean, like it. I think. I, I I think there's something people always it. expect you know label dude to have heard all music in the world, but no no I'm I'm kidding. But I, <laughs> you, you but you know you know Blood Orange. I've heard the name. Okay, uh, I I so rarely listen to music that is not a part of the label because no. because it's like all my time is spent listening to yeah. music that I'm working and, on. And you put it. It's like no, yeah. There there's not much time to like hear shit outside of that so yeah like, no no I, 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 i've got I, crazy blind spots you know? no no i mean likewise i feel like if you were somebody who knew of blood orange like as the like the uh, musical project like you probably would have listened to them you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah or, or to him and blood orange has had weird iterations he's kind of just been building up to something each time hmm. um, and then he also does classical composing and stuff like that hmm. as well like he's like fully multifaceted and is a director and is a dancer and wow um, so i find that super inspiring as yeah like another black person in the same essentially generation and he's also not american he's not black american which you know we, that's a whole conversation but like yeah i've realized i don't vibe like right that's a different I, we don't we don't like thing. i don't totally connect with black americans all the time like there is like mm-hmm. uh some friction there or not friction but just misunderstanding and so there's just a lot about him that I can relate to. And he's not like, he's not a good technical singer, but there's something about his voice that is just interesting. Yeah, that's never bothered me. No, <laughs> but, it, but it bothers a lot of people. Like, yeah, yeah. Like about his music. That's probably, a, that's a plus in my, in my book. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some, several artists on the label who are a very unique voice. <laughs> and they, but they yeah. belt their fucking hearts out yeah. you know and yeah. it's amazing as soon as you get used to it yeah the, the thing i find interesting about him is that he doesn't have like the strongest voice but he's trying like beyonce and Mar- yeah. mariah carey runs Whoa. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> like do like <laughs> yeah 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 he's like but it doesn't like quite he doesn't quite pull it off but it's like enough that you like understand you know Whoa. <laughs> so i don't know it's but yeah like he's obviously like an amazing musician so so obviously has a good enough ear to hear that he's like not quite hitting the notes but there's just something about the attempt that i'm like yeah man oh yeah dude absolutely uh the best example of that on our roster is tim kinsella man i don't know if you've ever spent any time with john mark or cap and jazz i actually watched that documentary oh yeah the the vice one yeah, because I had no frame. Like the only thing I knew about Kinsella yeah. was like you know through the American football dudes, um, and even that band. Like it was, I think it was through them that I got into that, and I was like, oh shit, this guy's on Joyful Noise. Like that's awesome. He's great. Yeah, like th- this label might not exist without without Tim or Joan of Arc. The release that I point back to as sort of the beginning of the real energy we got you know was this cassette box that we did for them but anyway what like his voice a lot of people would say that he has a, a bad voice or you know he can't sing or something but he 
belts it out and it, it has so much passion that it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'd actually say he has a great voice. I think that too, I mean, like now, you know, but it, like, but it takes you a little while to, to get used to it. And I would say it takes a little while to get used to his written music too. Like his, <laughs> yeah. I remember first hearing, <laughs> that was one of those bands we, we touched on earlier, like yeah. it, the bands that you first hear and you, you know, you don't know if you should hate them or love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was absolutely my experience with, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was actually make believe. It's one of, like a Joan of Arc side project. Okay, but I remember hearing it randomly on this like, uh, the fuck was it called, L- Lime Wire or something like that. It was yeah, like, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. It's like pre you know streaming. Yeah, no, I remember. One, I I can see the logo, like, <laughs> the, the green and yellow. Yeah, 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 for sure. It just like popped up on there, and I was like, what the fuck like i had like a physical like reaction to it and i was like i don't know if this is terrible like i want to hate it <laughs> and i don't know why yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like is this really 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 fucking good or really terrible i don't know you know and but, it took me a long time to figure it out but yeah. it's really good yeah <laughs> but that's the that's the best when you have like a very visceral reaction to yeah. like music and I'm trying to think of if there's been a band that I've had like a really bad reaction to. That there is, are a few bands that I just like, just fucking hate. I'd uh, love to know this list. <laughs> <laughs> Too long to go through on this podcast, but here's a funny story. Let's see. Before Jess worked at Joyful Noise, she worked at a booking agency in Amsterdam at Belmont. Yeah. bookings and i visited her several times visiting for the night or whatever and um oh jesus now i'm blanking on his name what the fuck is that guy he was just on like tucker carlson oh ariel like, pig <laughs> yes she worked at this booking agency and one of her clients playing that night was ariel pink and we went we went to see this show and we could hardly get in. It was a small club and basically only just sort of stand at the back and look. But that's one of those where I had this very like visceral reaction that was really negative. <laughs> and, it never, <laughs> and it never turned positive. Yeah. It was just a straight up like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. This is awful. I don't even understand everything that's awful about it, but I know it is in my bones. You know, that's how I felt about it when i saw it i was just like this is bullshit this is terrible terrible bullshit i knew nothing about his politics or anything at the time yeah you know but yeah it was enough the music was enough yeah the music just felt totally disingenuous and um predatory is too strong a word but there's something (laughs) there's something in between there yeah right 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 i don't know why this is remind, reminding me of this show that was playing bass for somebody and we were playing in Toronto. But then the lead singer got up on like, up like on the, on the subwoofer, just like point, started pointing at people and just like pointed right at me and then came right at me in the middle of the song and started singing. I was like, what is happening right now? I need to, I want to leave. <laughs> was he singling you out? Were you the only black guy there? No, okay, he was also black. Oh. Important part of the story, I guess, now. 
yeah, important. No, no, it was totally like out of like just for the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, like he was. Yeah, yeah, like I think he thought maybe like a delegate was there or something. You know, like some <clears throat> somebody important. But I was just like, what is? Dude, I, I know, man. Like sometimes. Okay, you, you ever heard of this band Monotonics? No, <laughs> I'm about to look them up online. All right, so we work with Jonathan Gat who's the guitarist yeah was the guitarist of monotonics they're an israeli band they are the most insane band i've ever seen alive by far and i've seen them many times or i saw them many times they they toured for like two or three years solid like 300 days a year and it was the most uncomfortable but amazing shit like it like you couldn't be in the room and not get like beer or blood on you and it was the only time i've ever seen like a drummer crowd surf like with with his drum kit jonathan would like they choreographed this shit yeah right they would like go out into the crowd and like he would end up on top of the bar in whatever tiny club they were playing it was just absolute mayhem and they would always end up outside the venue yeah it was it was insane every time i saw them i would keep like a a, a clear like eye on the door and i would stick pretty close to the door because mm. i was like this is about to become like a complete like i'm about to die yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna run i'm I'm not dying this way. <laughs> uh, I've I've had that at a show, not as a like a spectator, but as a musician, and had nowhere to run. Oh no! That was like, but it was simultaneously the most fun and the most terrifying show I've ever played. Yeah, it was in a house. Like the deck had broken earlier that night because too many people had been on it, and the band before us, people were just like jumping up and down. And so the, the floor had like quite a give to it, but it was like doing okay. It was like mm -hmm. just totally packed house. And then we started playing, the band I was playing in was like post-punky math, but kind of like women. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like a lot of starts and stops, but people were jumping up so much that I think the floor had like two inches of give, three inches of give. Oh my god! And so I like a that trampoline. Was, That's insane. Yeah, no, it like felt like a like it felt like a tra trampoline, and you couldn't hear anything. Obviously, you couldn't hear anything. It was wild, uh, but it was super fun, but terrifying. Because yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if we would have died if the floor had, <laughs> but like it, it definitely would have been really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. House <laughs> <laughs> shows, I miss them. Yeah. There was this house in Indianapolis that was called the secret location where, <laughs> uh, where i lived for a long time when i was in college and and actually like the first sorta office for joyful noise was in that house it was in a closet in that house where i just you know stored the the cds that i had made mm -hmm. uh, from my friend's bands at the time but anyway that that house like we had tons of amazing fucking shows there crazy huge bands would tour through and and play there it was not quite that extreme in terms of like the entire house giving giving out <laughs> but um 
there were times where it was like, holy shit, uh, this is not safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of miss house shows. I, I, I like house shows. But I can't I think, go there anymore. I'm too fucking old, man. I think there is definitely a weirder energy or a weird energy if there's like somebody like that's much older than the crowd that's there. But yeah. I think the way to maybe go about that is to just genuinely friendly. and Because I think if like you feel weird that people will like, yeah, you know, in any situation, people will, like feel that. So know, I shouldn't like... put on like a backwards baseball cap and a skateboard <laughs> and be like, "Hey, hey, kids, hey, kids." I mean, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's also a little weird because it feels like I can't go to a show without people thinking, right? That you're that I, like, and I'm there to like scout something. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, no, for a hundred percent, yes. Anyway, let's play fucking Headspace. Yeah. What do you want to say about this song? I like that there's a lot of feedback on this song. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's I just think it's like, for you to have feedback, right? That's, is it? Yeah. I mean, like, feedback's not. Uh, well, like, drone tones oh, are normal. No, I think there there's there's definitely songs in the past that like i remember one time one review i got somebody thought that i it, i made a mistake of leaving in feedback during the chorus of the song <laughs> when it was actually intended to that's awesome um, when one of my, the most formative albums to me was nirvana in utero yeah and when i first got it i totally thought there was something wrong yeah, with my, with my CD, because like <laughs> there's so much feedback. Oh. Yeah, it's like weird, but also cool because we don't know each other that well yet. But like, I have rock projects in the past that are just really heavy and have a lot of feedback. And yeah, so to to me, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is like par for the par for the course. All right, here it is.
a bunch of rockers on this record and a bunch of like super stripped down like introverted kind of yeah <laughs> songs it's an interesting record for that reason it's also a challenge for us to like promote the record because <laughs> when we play a song just like that, <laughs> it's really not getting across the whole point not at all i mean i thought that that's what a record was yeah it should be it sucks that we have to jump through these hoops to like, yeah but for sure i or but like sorry i didn't even mean like conceptually like i think that's like what i understand records to always be like the records that i listen to but yeah but uh that's what i love about you and about music in general too Mm -hmm. it's like this you gotta have peaks and valleys man yeah like there's nothing without comparisons maybe you're the same way but i i do get bored pretty quickly I think like when I think of sequencing, I think of the listener. If it's just too many rock songs in a row, like it's gonna be yeah. that's like Yeah, sequencing is something that I get like I just nerd out about. Same. This was a record where when you sent it to us, it w- it was just a little bit too long to fit onto a single LP. So that was one of the first conversations that we had to have is like, hey, do you wanna trim this down or do you wanna release an EP? Yeah. separate this into like an LP and an EP because we didn't think that it was wise to release a double LP right out of the gate. <laughs> which I think which is considering the fair. vinyl manufacturing situation, <laughs> that's <laughs> even more wise. But luckily you weren't insisting upon a double LP. You, you were down to sort of work with us to trim it down to single LP length. But, I mean, we had to cut some, like, amazing songs. <laughs> it sucks. I, yeah. One of them will play last year, though. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I think we met at the right time for that. Because I'd had this conversation with other friends who also had to cut their records uh, down from a couple songs. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Like, <laughs> I would, like, I remember talking to people would be like, I would never do that. Don't you let them. <laughs> like, fuck them. Um, <laughs> I mean, I still do believe that because of the advent of the internet and being able to release your music digitally, the album is now and so can be in so many different forms. And so to... To cut it down for one medium of yeah. listening to music is a big decision. Yeah. At the same time, I, I think I'd just been worn down after a year of just listening to this record. And I was just, I felt like less precious about it and was down to mm-hmm. make that decision. The thing that flipped it for me was you're just talking prices and you're like, oh, it costs. Because I, I obviously I knew that manufacturing a, a double LP would cost so much more, but at the same time i had thought of the person buying it and how much that would cost and i was Mm -hmm. like oh yeah i'm never gonna do that to somebody right (laughs) like i don't know if i would buy this record for 46 dollars or 50 dollars whatever right Um, especially when it's just over a full lp like it's not even like a double lp really like it's right just a couple songs over so that's what did it for me i was like yeah no i mean that's a good reason i echo your idea that like uh, the LP is is one format. It doesn't need to dictate like how we sculpt music, but it's a good format for helping us sculpt. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's a good template. It's a- I find it to be a really good way to help to craft an album. 
one beginning song and one end song on side A that's like about 15 to 20 minutes. And then one beginning song and one end song on side B, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. That sequence, that's like the fucking hero's journey or something. Yeah. Like that shit is like, that's like ingrained in humanity. That I totally agree with. And even if I'm not thinking about vinyl, I'm still framing it in that way. Exactly. Like, because I did make this record really thinking about vinyl. No, but now that it's like in my thought process, I understand it as a limitation in a positive way, like right, you know, like kind of structure it. So like the next few things that are in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, like these, this is the time that I have to work with, and if I want it to be on vinyl, this is these are the choices I need to. Make. Yeah, and I mean, even if you don't want it to be on vinyl, or even if you your vinyl comes out six months later, <laughs> but. Like most artists are going through right now. Like, it's a good framework, man, for the listener. It makes it way more engaging. There are, there are too many great records that are too fucking long, man. I think I like the, ch the challenge. I think I, 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 maybe it's like the athlete in me or something, but I agree that like the LP length is perfect mm -hmm. for most for like for like attention span yeah but yes but there is just something about like when i see a long record i'm like yeah you don't have to make a big piece of work each time but you just uh, like did this like massive thing like you wrote your trilogy or something but it has to be good <laughs> it's funny how the album length standards it was lp length for for ages the 60s 70s 80s yeah and then in the 90s, it briefly became 70 minutes. With who? I'm, I'm, I don't have a frame of reference. Because CDs oh, right. took yeah. over as the, the only format mm. during that era. And there are some really great records that are like sculpted to that length. Mm. Some that come to mind are like Beck Mutations or even like Radiohead OK Computer. That is made for a CD. Is it a 60 minute? 15 minute? I don't know. I mean, I'm just pulling that. I don't, I, I actually, yeah, I don't really know Radiohead Scroll, but I did listen to OK Computer and Flow well, recently. And it was, it was kind of long. Yeah. <laughs> kind of long, dude. Like, it's yeah, pretty, um, pretty long. And like, uh, like Spiritualized is one mm -hmm. that I remember really loving and it being like sort of of that like cd era all the beck shit oh yeah and then the fucking zero tracks man that's something that's like gotten totally lost zero tracks i don't know what that yeah. is uh do you not know about this the best example i can think of is like on beck's midnight vultures record you ever listen to that album no i i really don't know beck at all like he, I know that he, he was great. <laughs> it's it's really sad how he's just like immediately faded into mediocrity. But yeah. like, dude, uh, yeah. yeah, Midnight Vultures, like, Odelay, and uh, and mutations in particular. Okay, Fucking my 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 only frame of reference for like back for a long time was that he produced a Stephen Malcolm's and the Jigs record. 
Well, okay, so this zero track thing, it's hard to describe if you're not looking at a CD player, which don't really exist anymore. You're going from track two to track three, okay? Mm -hmm. And instead of it going from, let's say track two ends at like, you know, three minutes, 55 seconds. Yeah. And it's like counting up, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of it going straight to like zero and then counting up in track three, it goes to negative 38 and it starts playing some weird shit and it counts down. It counts 38, 37, 36, 35, 34. You know what I'm saying? And it's this weird intro that's like laced into the format. But if you skip directly to that song, you don't hear it. Weird. Okay. If you go straight to track three, you don't hear the intro. But if you, but you only hear it if you listen to track two and then also and then let it carry over into track three interesting that is a is an awesome like aspect of the cd format that is totally lost now i don't think i don't remember this i don't know where i would have encountered this that was really cool that uh yeah i don't know buy the midnight vultures cd <laughs> or something <laughs> There, and then you can also do zero tracks before a record. So like hidden hidden songs yeah. where like if you put in the CD and press play and then and then push back, mm -hmm. like you can go. Oh, and like I'm going to try that. Stuff. So <laughs> I, the, the I last have... Milk, the G649 record, we did that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of CDs. Uh, if I was in the living room, which like I'm probably the only person in my friend group that has like I probably have like 50 CDs. What really? Like my parents had a, a ton, probably still do. I don't know where they are. Um, and then so I took some, and then I, for a long time I was still buying CDs because I didn't have vinyl, mm -hmm. and I had a CD player. And then I just switched to just buying tapes because I like tapes more. But it's a lost lost art. Yeah, I mean I love. I love the hit, just a hidden track anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's another thing of that CD era where it would, the hidden song where you just yeah. like, the album would end and then there'd be like all this silence. And then, yeah. The... I wanted to do that on Hangtime actually. <laughs> but <laughs> there are other ways that you can do hidden tracks on vinyl though. You can interlace oh. the, uh, the audio, mm -hmm. you know, on, on the final track or on any track really to where oh. like um <laughs> you have to like pick up the needle and put it on like the very next groove and it'll play a completely oh. different song that's wild um we've done that a bunch and uh the other thing that we've done like which is kind of has the same vibe as like a cd hidden song where mm -hmm. is where we'll do like the album will end it'll be a locked groove mm -hmm. but then there's another song right after it Right. On the record and and you have to actually you have to physically pick up the needle put it on the next song yeah to play the interior oh, grooves of that record well i'll think about that for the future yeah next album how long did you uh, record and release your own shit before we started working together like 10 years yeah 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 and i think more like just production over anything i think like i'm proud of the songs for that time, you know, I, I don't know if I play any of them <laughs> anymore. Right. But, uh, right. It's rare that I play songs that are out in the world. 
and that's changing that's changed in the last like three four years but for a long mm -hmm. time i just would never play stuff i released i was like this is yeah i've grown up a bit <laughs> <laughs> started to learn yeah well, started to learn how to play the songs. hopefully people will start to come see you live who are expecting to hear this yeah no record they'll they'll hear they'll, they'll hear <laughs> the songs i'm not gonna like i hope to i hope to like revisit some of the songs though like yeah and do maybe do a different version of, of a bunch of older songs at some point too It'd be fun but like very awesome so why don't we let's uh let's play this last song to yeah. lead us out so this is Gisty, mm -hmm. uh, which is an outtake from the record that we talked about. Like, this is one of my favorites, by the way. Yeah. This is one that I was voting not to cut. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. But luckily, it is the bonus flexi that is included in the VIP vinyl edition. So at least people get it that way. Anything you want to say about this song, Cedric? Wrote on the piano, like the piano that we've had, my family had for like 10 years. I think it, we had it in the Philippines, Holland, Kenya, wow. Brazil, and Canada. And it's like a big piano, not a grand piano, but like just a big upright piano. Um, so yeah, felt that like, I was just thinking, I just rethought that now, but yeah, that, we don't have that piano anymore, but that's like good. Maybe one of the last things I wrote on it, probably. So that's a cool tidbit for me to remember. I don't know. I really like the song, and it was. I felt really bad about cutting it. I think it'll be out in some other form. Yeah. Hopefully at some point. Including this one on yes. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it's out now. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time, dude. Thank you. It's. Uh, it's been great to talk to you and uh, get to know you a little better now that you're part of the whole part of the whole joyful noise family thanks for having me appreciate it all right here is just the
Thanks for listening to the Joyful Noise Radio Hour.